Today I want to speak uh, from Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 25, and I'm entitling this, uh, Availing Ourselves. So this is a picture of an egg. It, with lighthouses and flashlights and superpowers and Lego, are all good object lessons that we employ to try to teach truth to children. So the egg being a, 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 you know, an imperfect but pretty good example of the, the Trinity or the three persons in one. Um, and then the lighthouse, of course, being um, Jesus calls us to, to be lights and, and so on and so forth. I, I believe that, that basically uh, this was a lot of how Jesus taught. For instance, um, comparing the receipt of the truth, he, he compared the truth to a seed, and he compared our receiving of that truth as though uh, our receiving, we are the soil. Uh, and so he used object lessons. Uh, say, for instance, uh, how he was trying to explain God's love and care he, he used the example of a, a good shepherd who cares for his sheep. Um, when he talked about, you know, receiving the truth for the first time, it's like receiving the, the pearl of great price. Um, he used very practical examples so that we could understand and the people that were listening to him could understand these truths. I believe that the, the author of Hebrews in these last few chapters has essentially been using an object lesson so that uh, we could understand, and particularly the people who were listening to him, could understand who Christ was and why he came. And, and most of the people that would have been listening to him would be Jews, listening or reading, I should say, this letter of Hebrews. And so the people that are reading this letter are, are Jewish people, and so he chooses to use uh, the symbolism or their everyday uh, experience with the Jewish system of sacrifices so that they can understand who Christ is and what he came for. And particularly, he's been talking about the Day of Atonement, which was the day in which the, the high priest entered the most holy place, uh, carrying with him and sprinkled with blood, and sprinkled blood, um, while in the most holy place. And he uses this object lesson so that the people can understand why Christ came. In the second half of chapter 10, which is about two-thirds of the way through our book, the author pivots and begins to get very practical in what he wants us to know. And so for two-thirds of the book, he's, he's provided it's kind of a theological underpinning. Now, I know that people really like practical teaching. But, uh, you know, Hebrews is a good example. It, it, take, it takes two-thirds 
of the book of Hebrews or the letter of Hebrews so that you can understand the one-third practical lessons, right? And so he starts off this section with the word therefore. So he's moving from all the theological underpinnings and the teachings, and now he goes into this section where he says, therefore, and he's going to get very practical with his readers. And so we'll read from Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest or great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he, is, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. See, I see three very practical things that can result from the mission of Jesus Christ if we accept his gift of salvation, which he procured for us, through his death and resurrection. But I first want to add a clarification. Colleen and I, um, we don't like to go to blockbuster movies very much. Um, we, uh, we tend, if we go see a movie, we will go down to the city cinema. Have you ever been to the city cinema? It's this little theater which has seats kind of like this. And uh, there's probably like six rows of seats. I think maybe 50 or 60 people can sit there. And that's where we'll see kind of movies that are too good to be shown in uh, the real cinema. And uh, we had been doing this for like the first three years here on the island. And Every, every time we went to pay, we thought, man, we should get a membership, you know? Like, if we got a membership, we get a discount, right? And so um, we decided one day to, you know, dig deep and pay the membership fee, because then every time after that, we would get a percentage, we, which is a really great idea if you use it. <laughs> we... The last time we went to a movie is when we got our membership. <laughs> and so we don't, we wasted our year's membership. We never once went in that year where we paid our membership. And, you know, part of that is they have movies that we don't want to see and stuff. But quite frankly, it's hard to get time to do it. So, um, But the, the thing is, like, that's the thing with membership. Uh, you can have it. But unless you avail yourself of it, right? You can have the membership, but unless you avail yourself of its privileges, it's really not doing you any good. And this is what I think the author of Hebrews is saying when he starts talking in practical terms. Yes, 
Jesus Christ died for your sins. Yes, he's offering you redemption as a free gift. But that's not going to do you any good if you don't avail yourselves of that wonderful gift. And so I just wanted to say that, you know, like there's three things that we're going to talk about today. But unless we avail ourselves, in other words, we, 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 we act on these things, it, it really um, is it's really a waste. <laughs> and so... These are the three things that should result from Christ's atoning work on our behalf that he mentions. First of all, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Two, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Here's another aside. I will get going on this sermon. Let us is highlighted in each case. Why did we have let us highlighted? Well, I did it for a purpose. Remember, most of the recipients of this letter would have been Jewish people who had grown up in the faith. And I want us to understand that you can't overstate the importance of their religious life in defining who they were as a people. The author's explanation of the new covenant replacing the old covenant, which starts to affect the need for the tabernacle, the need for the priesthood, the need for all the sacrifices, could have been taken as an assault on their identity as a people because their identity was so integrated into, with their faith. This is how it started. <laughs> we go to Exodus 19. These are God's words to Moses on Mount Sinai. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you're to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you're to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole world or the whole earth is mine, you will be, for me, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You see, under the old covenant, the Jewish people knew that they were a special and unique people. Treasured possession. But who would they be in the new covenant? I think of residential schools, which we've heard a lot of and probably not enough of yet. And how it's been explained to us that kids would be sent, Aboriginal kids would be sent to these residential schools 
And, and the purpose was literally to get the Indian out of them. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> but that was it. They were being sent to get the Indian out of them, to make them white, right? And I think of that in, in sort of this, this idea of identity. And, and, and the people who had heard about Christ and who had believed in Christ, and, and now they're in this, this group. What is this group? What, what's its identity? You know, before we were a, a treasured people, we were a, a treasured possession, we were a holy nation, we were unique. But now, who are we? Right? And so, Peter, who, who didn't write Hebrews, but wrote Peter, 1 Peter and 2 Peter, he wrote uh, these words to these folks who are struggling with basically an identity crisis. He writes these words, but you are a chosen people. He's writing to you too, by the way. You are a chosen people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so for the Jews who had accepted Jesus Christ as the Messiah, accepted his gift of forgiveness, understood what he did on the cross for them to make them whole with God. They would hear those words and they would say, oh, I belong to something special, just like I did when I was part of the Jewish community. I belong now to this new community which has a new covenant with God. And the others who would be readers as we are today can say that we belong to a special community, that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special possession we are special as a community. And so I'm sure that some of the, the readers would have had this sense of loss of, of their culture as they have found they were no longer under that covenant with all of its practices and community. But now they are and, and this writer, the writer Hebrews, as, as well as Peter and the other apostles, are trying to emphasize that they are part of something special, and they are part of a new community. Now, some of you are, are theologians, and so I know that you're, you're that I'm getting I'm, I know that I'm getting into tricky theology here, and I don't want to really go there. I just want to say I get it. I understand that that basically some of you would sort of say, well, actually. Some of the Jews actually never became part of a new community. They just included others. Because you're thinking of Romans when Paul writes that 
The church age is the age in which Gentiles are grafted in like branches to the to the plant, right? To the, to the, to the plant that is the community that God had created with Moses. And so I, I, I get that. And God did not reject his people. <laughs> but at the same time, I, I really do feel that when this author starts to talk about let us, he starts to identify a people. Remember, like, right in those 40 days after Jesus um, had been resurrected and, and he still walked around, you, what were the disciples? The, these guys weren't all buds from birth, right? These guys were kind of a collection that were brought together. But guess what? They were a people. They were together after the resurrection. They saw themselves as community. They saw themselves as part of something unique. And so they didn't disband and all kind of go do their own things. They were a people. And so it's really important that we keep that in mind. So when we see those words, let us, it speaks to me, and, and, and you'll see in a few minutes, it, it also, it speaks to me of this idea of formulating a sense of community that is rooted in God's idea that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are part of a unit, and that unit is the body of Christ. The kingdom of God, if you want to call it that. You are part of something that is unique. You are called to something. And for the Jews, who had, I'm sure, had a sense of loss, there was a newfound sense of belonging to something in community. We'll come to that again in a second. But I, I just want to talk, first of all, about these three things. Therefore... Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. I think it's truly hard for us to imagine how revolutionary that would be to a Jewish reader. To have access to the most holy God was not something that they would ever have considered. Because there was only one person, once a year, who went into the presence of God. And that after quite a vetting and quite a preparation. Now, they see in the new covenant, in the new reality, they have full, free access into the throne of God. Try to put yourself in their position, the position of those Jewish people, in which it was foreboded, right? It was like you, you didn't go near the most holy place. Now, having full and free access, think of how revolutionary that is. We have become, in evangelical Christianity, I think whimsical and reckless with this idea of our access to God, to a, to a fault, I believe, where I think in some senses 
We, we minimize the holiness of God. These folks understood the holiness of God <laughs> and never assumed that they could enter the presence of God. But because of Jesus Christ, because he is their high priest, because he has been the perfect lamb of God who took away their sins, now they are like the high priest and can walk in into the presence of God. It's an amazing thought. But only if they avail themselves of the opportunity. They take advantage of their membership. Number two, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Have you ever played a game when the rules are always being changed? That's frustrating. When the goalpost keeps getting moved back, when you've worked super hard and you figure you got, you've won, and oh, well, you didn't consider this. It's kind of like Reader's Digest. I've won Reader's Digest a million times, it must be. I've been selected as a winner I don't know how many times. But as I open the envelope and start to see, the, I start to see my million dollars, right, goes further and further away from me because the goalposts are moved. This is not the way it is with God. We can hold unswervingly to the hope that we have because God is faithful, and God isn't moving. He's not changing the game. He's not moving the posts. We have something that is secure and solid. And if you know that there is certainty, your hope can be built around that certainty. And so we can be unswerving in our hope because we know that God is faithful and the game isn't changing. The rules aren't changing. And it's not going to be an act of frustration. He is our rock. He who promised is faithful. Finally, and this is where we come back to this significance of community. Number three. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. What gets in the way of us being loving people? What gets in the way of us doing good deeds? What is it that holds us back from the very thing that we want to do? I would suggest to you that it is an underlying need to take care of myself first. And if I don't have confidence that I am loved and accepted unconditionally, 
If I don't have security in that truth, I better make sure that I'm okay first. Oh yes, I can do some loving stuff. And I can do some nice things for people. But basically, i got to take care of number one. Because I don't have confidence that I am accepted. <laughs> I am... I am God's, I'm his special child. And so it's really important for us, if we're going to be loving people, and if we're going to be people who are doing good in our communities, we have to have confidence that all of our needs are met. <laughs> that we have nothing that we need. We are totally cared for because of Christ and in Christ. If I know that all my needs are met, I can be more than generous with my time and my resources. I can lavish on other people because I know that I've been lavished upon. Right? I've been given so much. Remember the, the parable of the, the wicked servant who had been given, absolved of millions of dollars of debt. And yet he couldn't extend forgiveness for a small debt. We have been forgiven a debt. We have been given new life. We have in Christ everything we could ever need and hope for in this life. Therefore, we should be more than happy to love and do good deeds. And, and I love that way he puts it. Let us consider how we may spur one another on. You know what that speaks to me? Be creative. Imagine a million ways that you can bless other people. You've been blessed in a million ways, Think of a million ways that you can love and spur others on. To lavish on others the grace of God. Because we have experienced the greatest gift of all. He closes this little section with a very bold command. A command that I'd be reluctant to, to say in this church. <laughs> because we're so understanding and so accepting and, and so careful not to, you know, be judgmental and stuff like this. This author doesn't have any problem. He says you need to get together. <laughs> you need to meet. Those guys that aren't getting together, they're screwing up. They need each other. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, this is important. I mean, I've known Christians who claim to be Christians, but will not associate with other Christians. I'm sorry. 
to their face. I challenge their faith in Jesus Christ. How can you be a Christian and not go where there are other Christians to have fellowship? How can you be a part of the body of Christ but be separate from the body of Christ? You can't. And yeah, we're not perfect. You know, we're not. We're messed up, usually, <laughs> as a group. But there's something so important about getting together because it's an encouragement and it's a support to each of us. If each of us comes flowing over with the grace of God that we've been filled up with so graciously by God and come into this place, should we not be an encouragement to each other? Should we not be a blessing to each other? Should we not be spurring each other on? We need to meet. Because we need to encourage one another. We're essential to each other. And he says here, the more as you see the day approaching. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> Look at the mess we're living in. Look at the mess the world is in. Do we not need each other more today than ever? We do. We do. The day is approaching. And as it approaches, it doesn't get better on earth. It gets harder on earth. And we know that. We can see that, can't we? We can see how hard it's getting. And so we need to rely on each other. And so, all three of these things, because you have a high priest who has made a way for us to go into the most holy place, we should draw near to God. We should hold on to our hope unswervingly and we should be committed to each other, to spur each other on in love and good things. But only if we avail ourselves, right, of this great gift. We need to avail ourselves of that wonderful gift of salvation. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for all that you have done for us. Help us not to squander that. Help us, Lord, to avail ourselves of that richness and move forward in our faith. Help us to be an encouragement to each other. Help us to have a strong hope, strong faith. Help us to enter into your presence as often as we can. Help us to access the benefits of having such an amazing high priest. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.